Hi, you're listening to Offsite, a series of interviews with theatre makers who work in unusual, site-specific, site-responsive and non-traditional spaces. This series was recorded over two weeks in December 2020 and is supported by the Arts Council. I'm Owen Winning and in this episode I'm talking to Quiva Regan. joined now by Quiva. Quiva is a stage manager and project manager with over 13 years experience in stage management and calling medium to large scale productions in Ireland, the UK and internationally. Hi Quiva, thanks for chatting to me. Hi Owen, how's it going? Yeah good thanks. Um, Quiva, you travel around a lot, where do you call home? Um, yeah I do, I'm, I move around quite a bit or I did before the pandemic. Sure. Um, I think I, I like to say I like to live in various different cities I really like Manchester I've, I've worked there quite a lot in the Royal Exchange I'm with home um theatre I like London but it's massive mm-hmm. I really like parts of America are amazing but I think there ain't there ain't anywhere like Dublin is there <laughs> I mean <laughs> wait till you hear the other interviews it's like cork 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 <laughs> Quirk's nice too. I know, but yeah, no. Okay, so Dublin. Um, how did you start working in theatre? Um, I did work experience when I was uh, 16 in the Gate Theatre mm-hmm. um, on a show called Festin, uh, directed by Selena Cartmel. Um, and I did a week's work experience. And then the stage manager on that, Donna Leonard, who's just an absolute idol, she's amazing. Um, she asked me to come and do another week's work experience on a show that she was double jobbing on, mm-hmm. uh, which was a show in the Helix um, called The Sleeping Beauty, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went and did another week. And then at the end of that week, they asked me to stay on as sort of like an ASM, extra pair of hands for the run, as it was quite a big show. Right. And then I just sort of got weird little job after job for years. So, <laughs> but so you were like in school. And like then, yeah. like you know, doing your homework side stage while you're like handing props to people and stuff like yeah, or not, or not doing my homework, not going <laughs> to school, not doing my homework. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Um, um, yeah, I did. I did a lot of um kind of bits and bobs that year because it was fourth year, so I didn't really need to worry that much about it. Mm-hmm. And then fifth and sixth year got slightly harder because I was getting more trouble not being in. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents were so sound about it; they like. If it was something I really wanted to do, they would just sort of let me let me off. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So sound. I did the, I did I yeah, I did the leaving cert, but I I'd say bloody scraped a pass. <laughs> and why did you choose stage management? Like did you go when you're starting um the work experience, were you looking for something specifically in theatre, like or or did you know beforehand that you wanted to work backstage? Yeah, like I went, well, I went to a lot of drama schools growing up. Right. Um, sort, of, sort of for the drama, but more a bit for the crack, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think everybody who works in theatre started when they were kids, started thinking that they were going to be actors. 
and then as you grow up and get slightly more sense you think oh no wait there's no way I want to stand on stage <laughs> um and I certainly don't want to have all these people listening and looking at me that's why this is a pleasure um but yeah like uh I don't know I guess I I thought I did want work experience in a theater but um it, they the places were so few and far between that I couldn't mm. get one so I think I did a work experience thing in like a like a crash or something mm. I think I did a sheriff street crash actually right. and then my drama teacher at the time um Carol she uh worked at the gate in like finance department or something um, and she said, oh, somebody's kid has dropped out and they're looking for a work experience for Tech Week of Festin. Do you want to do Fantastic, it? Fantastic, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, totally. And my work experience story passed. Yeah. But so I went home to my parents and was like, oh my God, the gate will let me go in and like work, like hang out for a week. And my mm. parents were like, yeah, great, take a week off. Um, so I think the reason I got into stage management was I went into the gate and I saw how backstage worked and I had no idea before, really. Mm. Um. And I saw sort of the work that I got, I guess I got to see the work that everybody was doing, like the Alex department, the sound department, Selena, you know, backstage uh, costume. And then, I don't know, I think, I guess, I just thought, I just thought Donna was deadly. And mm-hmm. I thought, God, I'd like to be Donna when I grow up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did think uh, I stage managed Christmas Carol in the gate last year. And uh, I remember thinking on opening night, Jesus, this is mental. This is like a big show. And I think if I had said to myself 15 years ago, you'd be fucking stage managing Christmas Carol on the Gate, it would have blown my little mind. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Um, so do you, did you do any training or um, or was it all on the job, like just gig to gig? So we went to, um, when I, because I wasn't sure whether I was going to actually probably get full-time work, um, I applied to Inchcore College of Further Education to study technical uh, technical theatre. Mm-hmm. Um, and they accepted me very kindly um, without, so we did the interviews or whatever before the Leaving Cert. And they said, I said, oh, I'm not sure if I'm going to pass my Leaving Cert. And they were like, yeah, it's fine. Even if you don't pass, we'll still let you in. Mm. I was like, oh, deadly cool. So then, um, so then I finished school and I uh, attended uh, Inchcore mm. for about a month, I'd say, before I got offered a job. Um, or maybe it was two months or something before I got offered a job. And then I just sort of really slowly dropped out. Mm. Um, and then it got to like, the end of summer the next year and I was like oh shit I don't know if I'm gonna have you know more work so then I went back to Inchcore mm-hmm. and I said oh can I just rejoin and they were like no no no, you never did the first year and I was like yeah yeah but I'll just catch up I'll catch up and eventually after much persuading they very kindly let me join again uh, and then a month later I was gone oh, God. <laughs> yeah yeah they were too nice to me I think but I think sit, sitting in classrooms and stuff doesn't work for me because mm-hmm. um, I'm like quite dyslexic, but you might mm-hmm. not notice because of all the drama lessons and stuff, I think. Mm-hmm. But like stuff like reading aloud in high pressured situations is horrific. So like stuff like stage directions mm-hmm. on a first read through, if it's a big company, 
Yeah. I've done read-throughs where there's 80 people in the room. Right. That makes me want to vomit. Yeah. And so I think sitting, like sitting in classrooms, trying to learn measurements or um, reading like theory and stuff, that just don't work for me. Sure. Um, so I pretty much learned everything I know from all the other deadly stage managers, yeah. product managers and people I've worked with. And it can be really like that is a really good way of learning shadowing someone like, you know, I mean, yeah, that's the kind I of mean, thing if someone's coming in to cover you like, you know, they follow you around for the night and that's how they learn the show. Like, yeah. And obviously there's there's downsides to it because you pick up other people's bad habits. Sure. Yeah. Um, and you don't necessarily if you've not got the training, you don't necessarily know that it's a bad habit. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, I was really lucky with loads of nice people. You also, another downside to that is that when you make your mistakes, you make them really big. Mm. So you you don't get, you don't really get a chance to sort of slowly build up to, um, to being stage manager, head of stage management, whatever. Mm. um, And watch other people avoid mistakes. You just get to be put in charge of sort of bigger shows and then, deal with the consequences when you make those mistakes yeah yeah but i wouldn't change it sure yeah it works for you um we were uh, just chatting there before um this interview and you're saying that you haven't actually done much uh, site specific recently but um as like in terms of your entire body of work like how much uh, site specific or off-site kind of like any, anything in a non-traditional theater venue how much would you say is is off-site and how much is more traditional venues oh so well um as you know i worked i worked a lot with um anu with mm-hmm. louise and owen um for years they uh we did loads of shows together. I think me and Louise once worked out, I think we'd done like 13 or 14 shows together. Yeah, some, yeah. some are new and some other projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously that is their bag um, and they're brilliant at it. Uh, Was so there a performance the, corporation as well? Yeah, we did um, We did a, a, sh- a show called Beautiful Dreamers mm-hmm. in Limerick. Um, with Performance Corporation and uh, Anu. So mm-hmm. it was kind of like a... Oh, okay. Co-production. Kind of little, thing. yeah, meld between them. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I, most of the stuff that I've... Um, site-specific stuff I've done is is with Louise and Owen. Mm-hmm. And then I do... Um, I also kind of work in the site office of, like, um, some music festivals, stuff like Kendall Calling in Cumbria, and stuff right. uh, which is obviously working a lot on site um but i'm certainly have in the past years stepped away from site specific because it's uh, much harder to control I right think, traditional theater yeah well i might ask you about that in a second um can you tell me about like the first show you worked on with a new and like where you were coming from when you started working with them and like how different it was um well, I I started working with Louise um, really really early. So like I I started working with her when I was seventeen or no, oh, okay. just, just turned eighteen. Right, right. Um, and we did a show. We did an I think it was a news first show, uh, and it was called Going Corners. In it was upstairs. No, it was upstairs in Project. Okay. Um, 
it was when um, Louise and Owen and uh, Sophie Motley were um, were all kind of forming a new and Sarah Jane Shields, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it was like a sort of really small. It was like a teeny tiny in-house version of what they do now. Mm. Um, so you moved odd. There was four different spaces in project. One was like in the men's bathrooms. One was out in the little smoking area. One was at the bar. And then I think one was just up the stairs in the foyer. And um, you, we kind of moved audiences around to them. So I guess everybody, there was probably like four or five people in the audience or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the, in the, I keep going to say press, it's so English. In like the opening show, mm. me and Louise were going around in the audience uh, just obviously to make sure everything was all right. And I hadn't, we hadn't quite run it properly. And we left from, you know, when you come out of this, you know, when you go into the smoking area and there's that door on the opposite side. Yeah. And so the audience had to travel from that door. So an actor came and got them and brought them around, you know, past the stairwell into the corridor and then into the men's bathrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, but me and Louise tried to sort of sneak our audience in uh, and we managed to get trapped in the stairwell between, and we couldn't open the door. You and didn't know the, the code. Didn't know the code for either for either doors, and um, so it was like two. The audience was me, Louise, these sort of this older couple who I think were two randomers, and Peter Crawley. <laughs> and so you had to stand there for fifteen minutes or something, like it was awful. Just, and was and he was, was he like, writing a review? Like yeah, yeah. And Peter, I remember Peter. It was the first time I ever met him. Met him I think. Um, and he turned around and he said, what is this? What, what is this? The stage manager and director part of the show? And I remember just being like, oh, oh God. Look like oh, fucking no. 18. Like, I had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awful. Every time I look at Peter, I remember that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So, so off to an ignoble start. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it must have gone just gone uphill from there then like you know yeah uphill or downhill yeah can you go any further um yeah and then uh so we i think we did that show i was i was still in the sixth year and then mm. um and then we did basin um did you see that i didn't know no yeah it was a million years ago um and it's it was probably still in cork yeah yeah uh and that was interesting as well that was um because i guess the thing is that unless you sort of know um unless you sort of know what you're doing with stage management really and even then it's still nightmare but like like i on every show we did i learned like buckets loads Mm. every day um like i took i took a night off um to go to my Debs. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, and it was the night that one of the actors, Jed, Steve Murray, um, stood up into a in he's um he, he stood up into a nail that was in the ceiling. It went into his head. If you ever see him now, ask him for a scar. Oh my um, and they'd call an ambulance. And I came in the next day being like, hey, how was last night? And everyone was like, oh <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, I probably should have. I wonder how I could have prevented this from happening. Maybe hammering uh, the yes, nail into the I've learned, set. 
God, yeah. Well, the problem was, see, it's not set, is it? It's just <laughs> like a lot of the time, it's just real life. You're just yeah, dealing yeah, yeah. with like the actual. So, like that was it was a nail that we'd never even seen. He, sure. I don't think he'd ever stood up like that before. Right. Um, but it was sort of on this like the little piece out jutting out from the house. So he's just sitting on the wall. Oh, the poor guy. Stood straight. Yeah. Oh. Sorry, yeah. I just I'm like. Yeah, just having a moment thinking about that. Um, yeah, crunching, crunching skull. Oh God. <laughs> um, so, so <laughs> it was so like it wasn't um, in that case. I guess you know you were just actually learning how to stage manage, and it it wasn't you know whether it was offside or not. You know you were just learning all the things, and you know it takes years to really get all those experiences in. Um, until you kind of feel like yeah. you've seen, you know, enough to kind of like have a fairly good grasp of, of how it works. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess you're just react, you're just reacting to the creatives, aren't you? Mm-hmm. You're not even necessarily stage managing because you don't really know what to do. Mm-hmm. So you're, so you're only reacting to their needs and then sure. I guess. Well, yeah. In the development can... stage, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And then any, well, like, I guess and then anything that comes anything that comes up then the next time when you go to do the show you go oh I remember this happened on the last show Mm. I'll just make sure that this is covered before they ask for it nice yeah that is that is a great stage management skill (laughs) Um, (laughs) can we have a yeah it's there common sense really isn't it yeah it's brilliant um so how early in the development of a show do you usually get involved as in start a rehearsals tech or, or before it depends it depends on the company mm-hmm. um like I'm quite lucky that a lot of the companies that I work with um I've worked with a bunch of times before um I'm lucky enough that they get to do loads of shows and that they um ask me back uh I think Um, I think the reason I think one of the reasons why I do get a lot of work is is because I think directors generally like me I generally get on with directors mm-hmm. um, and I think that's because I um, I don't like I won't work with a director unless I've spoken to them before I'll never mm-hmm. walk in blank um, and or if I've seen their work and I like this mm-hmm. because I think you can't properly um I think you can't stage manage you can't do a really top-notch job unless you understand the artistic vision of that director Mm. so although I have no want to be a director um I love what they do and I appreciate what they do and for me to be able to understand that means that I can then like I, I can't I can't run a show for three months after we open if I don't like it or if I don't if I think director's done a shit job or mm. I don't understand the process or whatever um I can't even remember what you asked me now um I was I was asking how early in the development you got involved oh yeah so a lot of the t- sorry yes <laughs> uh, a lot of the time I'll like I'll hear I'll hear about a show um like a year before it a year before it happens a lot of right. companies will go okay, we can't, we're not in the position to contract you yet, nor do I want to be contracted a year in advance. Mm. But can you take down these dates or these months 
and can you let us know when you get other offers mm-hmm. or like when something clashes with this mm-hmm. so like a lot of the time then I'll get updates on how or like what what's happening or I'll get script um script updates or I'll get you know touring questions or any of that kind of stuff right yeah um so you're kind of in contact it is it is work yeah with a lot with a lot of the companies I work with I am yeah Mm. and I I I mean I like it but it's Mm. also it is also work so there's only so much you really can be involved Mm. before you kind of go well also you're on another show all the time aren't you sure so you can't really you can't really give your whole attention to one show if you're thinking about this other show that's going to happen in six months. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly, like, from... If a show starts on a Monday and we're doing prep days on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the week before, certainly from the start of that week, mm. my head is all over all over that show. Yeah. Um, and do you? Does that answer your question? It does, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It it, it does. Um, do you? I know you said you you like don't have any want to be a director in that, but like as part of that process, you know, say if they're talking about touring or something, would you be able to like stick your oar in with regards to like venues and you know where they should go, where they shouldn't go, or um, like say with if you're working with a new, you know, and you know they're looking at like locations and that kind of thing would you have any sort of say in that process um certainly we um i went on a, a good few site trips with um with louise or with owen mm-hmm. uh but to be honest like those kind of decisions especially with a new where their shows are so based on place and texture and feeling and um that like I guess Louise or Owen will have an idea two years before they put on their show or three yeah. years before they put on their show mm-hmm. so they're like so for the likes of like say when we did laundry in the Sean McDermott Street laundry mm. that's obviously it's of its time and place um, and I think that's sort of the magic of what they do so in terms of having any choice and location and stuff I'm not really involved in that nor, nor would I necessarily want to be. Right. It's like a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You got enough on your plate. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you mentioned that you don't do uh, like as much site specific because it's harder to control. Um, I mean, how do you how do you call a site specific show like practically? Yeah, it's a good question. If you um, if you hear anyone else tell you the perfect perfect secret do let me know um because it's it's tricky um two examples of what uh, two examples of things i can think of are um for boys of foley street which was my um second last big show with anu and um, which is one of my favorite shows i've ever done and i think one of the best shows um that maybe I've ever seen. It's like, I think it's an incredible piece of work and it's so powerful. Mm. And really, I think, did its job in terms of plucking maybe a middle-class, privileged, incredibly white theatre festival going audience 
off the streets and and turning them into inner city Dublin into a different world. Mm. Um, but it was we had so much going on at all times. We had um, four lots of audience crossing each other in parks, in taxis, on the street, in the flats. Um, the outside world was was tricky to we had a few instances like slithers going through windows and stuff and um uh, at one point there was like some rats in in living in a bin that was quite close to one of our sites we had the local homeless and people who would call themselves drug addicts like down in our performance spaces we had knife fights and we had the local kids to deal with. Uh, so the way that we ran that was um, we had four site managers and each site manager would sort of hang around on the, on the street, down the lane, in a car, at the back of the flat, inside, wherever. And then we all had radios. Mm-hmm. And so we would all, we also all have, um, you'll notice a new, all have watches, all have mm-hmm. black Casios. Mm-hmm. Um, so that obviously everybody could be on the same can you hear that? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a shame. That's my niece. Oh. Saying she doesn't want to go to bed. She's going to be famous. That. She's going to be internet famous. Um. <laughs> that's staying in the edit. Uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thanks, Soph. Cheers, babe. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so the way we started that was every at you know whatever time we started at, I can't remember ten a.m. Mm-hmm. and they were really long, it's really long hours. So mm-hmm. you start at ten a.m. and everybody has exactly the same time on their watch, and everybody disperses, and whatever happens, you need to start the next show on time because mm-hmm. there is none of this like run, running behind anything. If if you're if you're running behind and the show needs to finish, just just end end the scene and and put the audience back on the street. Yeah. Um, and then all the site managers had radios and I would basically just float around um, Foley Street. Mm-hmm. I'd just walk around the park, I'd walk around the flats, I'd hang out outside the lab um, and any of those site managers could radio me for anything that they needed and I would drive right. there. Basically. You were like a floater. Yeah. I mean, sorry, that's not um, a nice term. Uh, yeah, exactly. So basically, I um, managed to uh, relieve myself of any actual, uh, any actual to-do list, any mm-hmm. definite jobs that I needed to do during the show, so that I could, React so I could always be free. Happened. Yeah, yeah, to go and um, intersect anything that was anything that was happening that wasn't good. Yeah. Wow. Um, which meant I was a bit, I was a bit useless then. Yeah, un- no un- until until you need to do something, and then, you know, which actually turned out was regularly was enough. Once a day. Really, yeah. once a day. Wow. Okay. But I suppose well, how many how many shows were you doing? Like twenty a day or something? Yeah. 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 I mean, there was loads of there's loads of stuff to do and could be done, but like, yeah, there were. Quite quite a few incidents, mm. but which I think the company dealt with really well, and we did we did our best. And again, learned bucket loads. Yeah. 
So that that was um, the boys of Foley Street. Did you say you had a another another example? Well, so my other example is um, Beautiful Dreamers in Limerick mm -hmm. that we just mentioned. Um, and the way that that ran was the audience all met somewhere and then there were uh, an actor came in and the show started and he and she brought them um, basically on a walk down, down one of the streets in Limerick and then up into this building in a lift that had this amazing like 360 degree um, views of, of Limerick City. And they, the audience all sit down in front of um, windows and they put on headphones and uh, a, a broadcast starts called Beautiful Dreamers. Mm -hmm. It's basically like this 30 minutes, like gorgeous uh, sound, sound piece by mm -hmm. um, the sound designer was Carl Kennedy, who was oh, yeah. incredible. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, but we also got, we also rented a radio station and broadcast it live. So anybody for those, whatever, three weeks at Rand World Limerick um, could tune in at whatever time, whatever time those shows started, once an hour and listen to, it was obviously the same thing every night. Mm. But the way that I cued that, so what it was, was, I don't know if you've ever seen that um, video, the girl, I think it's called The Girl with Chewing Gum. It's like mm. this old movie, you can see it on like YouTube. I'll basically, it Yeah, it's um, basically the, the, person who's speaking just tells you what you're going to see just a second before you see it mm. um, and it's a really effective uh, storytelling um, mechanism I guess but so basically that's what that was mm -hmm. so the voiceover says look to your left uh, look at the door of that hotel look three stories up and slightly to the right there there's a girl in the red dress and you do it, and there's the girl in the red dress. Or look across the river, let's turn the Christmas lights on. Christmas lights go bang. Oh like, God. yeah, so it was deadly. We had like balloon releases. Um, we had like, uh, there's like so much, so much stuff happened, like people fighting on the street. And so basically you don't, you can't, you don't see it until we tell you to look at it. And then there it is happening. Uh, and the way I cued that was I had a radio, yeah. like an actual broadcast radio, and I would just turn it on and then I would cue from like, when the girl in the red dress is there, I know it's gonna be 45 seconds until this broadcast says, let's turn the Christmas lights on, ding. So yeah. I know that I've got, I know that it takes um, 30 seconds for me to this is so mad we, I had the did I ever tell you this I had the um, the controls for Limerick um, Christmas lights um, on my phone <laughs> so I would I would text this number that and be like whatever this code and yeah. then like what are like on at the end of it and I know that from when it goes you know when it goes boop sent yeah. I know that I've got 14 seconds until those Christmas lights turn on Oh, that is so. Uh, oh, it was, it was actually really cool. <laughs> I mean, it's it's fantastic. I just like I'm just thinking of what the tech must have been like. Yeah, you know, like yeah, and getting like, those timings. Yeah, and it's it's the it's the opposite to it's the opposite to Boys of Funny Street, isn't it? Because mm. if anything happens, if I need to intersect anything, timing wise, it's more it was it's way more like how you would obviously cue a traditional show. Mm. 
because I can't get involved in street fights or sure yeah 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 um and was there ever any kind of idea to like time code the whole thing or I suppose was there even was it even possible not really I'm not sure it would have been possible because I'm just thinking because you had the soundtrack that you were working off you know yeah yeah um yeah it might it might it might have been possible um it's probably the kind of thing that you could do now with like QLab 4 or something yeah but yeah maybe and maybe and maybe if, if, yeah well even if I was doing it now I would do lots of things things differently mm. um but yeah maybe if I had the experience I have now then then I would have realized that we could have done that um I guess it always seems people kind of in those positions always seem to want to to leave it to humans, don't they? Mm-hmm. Rather than computers, I think people feel I think people feel safer yeah. when they know that I'm going to cue it. I mean, I don't feel safer. Sure, <laughs> I feel I feel horrible, but <laughs> I guess I it think, works out all right. <laughs> I think it's I think it's really ingrained in you though when you're working in theatre that things are not set and that things change and you need to react and it, it has to be live you know the, the, like it's like an intrinsic part of theater so the 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 kind of like even when you can hand something over to like just a series like a series of cues i like i've done you know sequences of lighting cues that last for like four or five minutes you know one after the other um yeah. but only if it's like you know to a track or something because you know if you're a tiny bit off with your timing, it just jars so, so much. Yeah. Like so um, obvious straight away, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it, but, but not, you know, not everybody works that way. Like, you know, I, I remember working with a designer, um, you know, who wanted to do like, he ended up doing like about half the show, I think was, you know, sequenced cues. Now he had, he had also designed, the AV as well and like so these sequences could happen like but there was like times where I was just kind of like okay this is you know like press go and then yeah. wait wait 10 or 15 minutes you know uh which feels strange you know but uh yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah and it, that's the thing if there's any we're much better at well we have a better, much better chance don't we of of fixing the issue mm. if we're if we're if we're in control if we're not in control sure well if anything goes wrong you're totally screwed aren't you yeah 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 i mean it you comes back exactly to dive, dive in the time code. sure it, it it comes back to as well like what you're saying about boys of foley street like the the just the fact of having a human being who knows what's meant to happen who can intervene you know it's gonna save so much grief um even if it's something you know like yeah. a power failure or something like at least there's somebody who can stand up and say you know sorry here's what we're going to do we're going to restart the show or something um yeah what uh i i i'm gonna guess right i'm gonna like i'm not gonna write it down but okay i don't have a fan and favor but i was gonna guess what the answer to this question but what's what is your most important tool Ooh. um my most important tool I think um, whether this is exactly what you're asking me or not, um, 
is my favorite saying. And all my friends are so bloody bored of me saying this for years. My favorite saying in a place where luck can find you and hard work keeps you there. And I think my most important tool, I think, is possibly understanding that. Um, that patience and kindness and understanding and fucking shit hot timekeeping skills are all really important, but you don't get you don't get fucking anywhere in theater or in life. Um, if you don't have privilege, if you're not hardworking, um, and if you don't have luck. Mm. How about that? That's great. I mean, I was going to say a radio. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a much, much better answer. <laughs> a black jumper. I like them. A black jumper as well. <laughs> that's great. Um, okay, this is this is a bit of a trap question. I'm saying it starts because you're, you're going to have to offend somebody. But who's more difficult to manage, the creatives or the performers? Um, I think generally, I think generally, if you do your job well from the start, if you pull the finger out and you put the time in, nobody is actually that difficult to manage. Mm. I know that's an answer you're not going to like. No, um, it's great. You can answer whatever way you like. <laughs> It's not. It's but, not. A, it's not a juicy one. It's not going to set the <laughs> Irish theatre scene ablaze. With... Imagine, I'd never get another job again. <laughs> That's all right. I'm not going to work again with COVID anyway. Um, yeah. No. I think. I think it's about. I think it's about managing. I think that what needs to be managed is is obviously I'm talking about 95 percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody needs to talk about the other five percent. I don't think. But. Uh, I think 95% of the time it's about um, managing people's expectations mm-hmm. and uh, values and artistic reasoning. And I think if you're, I think if you're fair and put the work in, nobody, nobody needs a huge amount of money. Like we're all adults. Mm-hmm. We're all adults. We're all professionals. We're all, um, and some more seasoned than others, but in terms of like anybody needing a huge amount of work, I have no fucking time for that, mm. really. Um, and it's very rarely that you come across somebody who who needs a huge amount of managing. Mm. Fair enough. I think. Yeah. Um, do you do you did you say that you do uh, festival work as well as um, as theatre? Yeah, I do. Um, I uh, work at a festival called Kendall Calling, mm-hmm. which is a, a music festival in Cumbria. I work in the site office with the uh, site team and the production team. And what so sort of what sort of stuff do you do there? Um, so basically, we deal with everybody who we we deal with everything. <laughs> we we do everything. Um, any contractors who come on site, any vehicles that come on site, any um like tents any building equipment any machinery we have a lot of plant 
um, trailers, cars. Basically, we deal with everything that everything that is festival except for uh, the people who come. Mm-hmm. I never, I, I see them off in the distance, but I never actually interact. With, I never see any of them. We never have to front of house deal with front of house such a theater term mm. deal with everybody um ever, all like, like the page um customers what do you mm. call yeah, festival yeah. goers um and then we so i we normally go on we go on to site and we're there for a month mm. so when you turn up is a big beautiful green lakey foresty site mm. where it's all like foxes and bunnies <laughs> And when it's over, it's all uh, destroyed, fucking left behind tents and yeah. mud and rubbish. Yeah. And do you, do you but, actually go in like, to see any of the, the acts uh, or anything? The rubbish pickers. I do. We work so we work straight through. Mm-hmm. So for um, the thirty days, so it's not like oh, it's Sunday you can do anything. You just go straight through. So by the time it comes to the festival and you're working really long hours and the site office uh, opens, then opens 24 hours mm. because obviously you can't close the site office mm-hmm. when the festival is live because if anything happens or whatever. We work closely with, with event control who are mm. the people who deal with when terrible things happen um, or mad stuff happens or whatever. Uh, so we so like by the time it comes to to actual festival time and you start work at 6 a.m and at 9 p.m you're like god I could finish now and I could go for a little drink or but I also have to be back in at 5 a.m and I've been on my feet all day and you just don't really want to in saying that four of my friends came to the festival last year and I partied non-stop (laughs) with them well yeah you'd have to um so that i mean that was yeah that that was the past um we don't go to festivals anymore um (laughs) how has covid19 affected your work this year it's really sad this is gonna be my fifth year at kendall um i was really looking forward to it uh and every year i spend my birthday at Kendall because um, mm-hmm. uh, my birthday is 2nd of August if anyone wants to buy me a present um, and it was my 30th this year and uh. not that I was necessarily not that I'm mad about spending it on site um, in the muck and the rain but yeah they're a nice bunch of lads and I, I miss mm. them this year yeah. um, how has COVID affected <sighs> I mean well I like I lost 15 months of work, mm. which obviously is an incredible, incredibly lucky position to be in, um, to have had that much work. Um, and that included um, shows in Dublin, mm-hmm. tour, touring in Dublin, uh, shows in London, shows in Manchester, uh, shows in America. Um, and is that, is that work cancelled or postponed? Currently, there's not really a difference, is there? Mm. Because there's no, currently, there's no end game. Mm-hmm. So I was talking to a company yesterday who um, are, uh, have availability checked me for something that's happening in um, September. And I was like, 
September when? They were like September 2021. And I was like, but when is it now? I don't know about you, but I've lost all concept of time. <laughs> Nothing means anything anymore. I, it's just one horrible long Monday. I just, I have the sparkly lights, so I know it's December. <laughs> They're lovely, Owen. Thanks very much. You should be a lighting designer. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but like, well, there, there's nothing. There's nothing mm. really happening. I've um, I've done some work with Theodore Lovett, mm-hmm. um, who I, uh, they're one of my favourite companies in Dublin. I think the work they do is amazing. Um, and I'd always go to the fucking end of the earth to work with them. So I've done some, um, some work in development, mm-hmm. uh, research and development weeks in with them. Um, I've also done, we did something called Mr. Fox and Friends, which is like sort of like half film, half concert in National mm-hmm. Concert Hall uh, two weeks ago. Um, I've done some other like kind of small bits and bits and pieces, but um, I did a show with Eva O'Connor that was in Dublin Fringe, mm-hmm. uh, which I wouldn't have gotten to do in the Peacock, which I wouldn't have gotten to do had I had COVID not happened yeah. because I would have already been busy. Um, so stuff like that's been cool, but like this. But this it's much, happening. much less than what, what you're used to. Yeah, I mean, this is the first time I've been in um, in Dublin for this long in 15 years. Like, yeah, yeah, it's um, it's mad, but it's also been deadly. It's also mm. been cool to hang out with my friends and actually for for once and to see like see my family to see my niece and that's all deadly mm. so i would really really like a job but <laughs> there are there are some perks yeah um and have you done any streaming theater or have you seen any what do you think of this um this trend of of streaming um theater online yeah it's really tricky isn't it because i really want to i really want to support um but also, it's it's weird. It's like this weird hybrid, isn't it, of of between theater and film, mm. and and it's and it's not it's not either, and it's a lot of theater people making film on theater budgets or less. Mm without necessarily the expertise the same way as if a load of film people came and started making theater we might be like well you, you don't necessarily have the actual expertise to to make theater you like you don't they're two different things mm. so not that there can't be any crossover but like i don't like i'm not i'm not necessarily an ad or like i don't know how long things take to shoot or how many cameras you need like mm. so when I worked with Theodore Lovett, that that was interesting. It was a bit of a baptism of fire, mm. um, but luckily everyone was everyone was brilliant. But I don't know. What do you think? I mean, like I think there's there's two separate things there because if you're recording something or you're filming something and then playing it back later and it's not live, then I think that that isn't theater. I think that that's film. Um, I think that you could make a very strong argument for the fact that something is streaming live. If, if it's being performed live every night, 
and it's an individual performance and that is being live streamed then i think you can make a very strong performance at that that's just as much theater um as as any other sort of live performance between a performer and an audience member but then at the same time i think it's a it's quite a new form and i think a lot of companies haven't quite gotten you know it's it's in its infancy but actually i i think I've kind of asked a lot of people now about this um, and I feel like, you know, there's a lot of views, like some people want it to go back to, you know, live performance. Um, uh, But a lot of people are very excited by the possibilities of what it could mean, some sort of maybe some sort of hybrid performance, you know, where there is a live audience, Mm. but also you get to have the audience of potentially anyone in anywhere in the world tuning in to see your your performance um, yeah and then when you talk about something Although like I guess... no go on no sorry go on well oh, there's a massive delay <laughs> yeah there is <laughs> uh no yeah what were you gonna say I was going to say, I guess the difference is when you make a when you make a film, you're paying an actor or a sound engineer or an AD or whatever. You're paying them for their time for this for this film, and you're paying them way more money than you would get in theater. Mm-hmm. Whereas, I guess theater, the way that we pay for it is you either get project funding or you get core funding. Mm. Um, so we're trying to make we're trying to make film on a theater's budget. So I think if we, if we did come up with like the money to live stream a show for a month and a half, um, that would be class, but I don't know where, where is that? Unless you get core funded, like the bigger theaters in the UK or the emergency funding that the Arts Council have just given them, like, where does that money come from? Because it normally comes from ticket sales, but you can't really charge 30 quid yeah. or or it becomes a lot less but maybe i mean maybe you have maybe you make theater uh, or make you know these streamed theater pieces you know you you kind of cut your cloth to 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 go for a lower ticket price and it's just you know a poorer theater um maybe i mean is that that's maybe not of so much interest you know especially when you're competing with so many other types of media um yeah that's probably quite problematic um yeah i do i just wonder why people would watch or what what draws people to watching filmed live performances when uh for 20 quid or 30 quid when i can sit down and watch netflix for a month for less than that um, uh, and the budget is fucking massive and the time scale is massive and there's do you know what I mean? It, I think the magic of and the magic and the fucking coolness and everything we love about it is entwined in it being a live event mm-hmm. and you being in the same room with someone, sometimes like so close that you can fucking touch them, mm-hmm. which you shouldn't do. Okay. Um, but, like, Unless they want you to. Uh, no, no, they never want you to. If they're acting, they don't oh, want you to touch them. Okay. That's what I learned in a new. Don't touch anybody. Um, but they, uh, that's a story for another time. Um, but like, I think that's, that is the magic. Whereas um, 
whereas but it's it's such a more it's it's a it's a completely different thing then isn't it if it's all if it's all filmed mm-hmm. if you're if there's somewhere else I mean I can sort of see okay well at least at least I know it's happening live so I know it's happening now but I'm I, maybe I'm just I've, I've, watched, I've watched a good bit now, especially kind of researching this project um, and some work. It's the same as, as theater, you know, some productions work much better than others. Some scripts are much better than others for, for streaming. Um, yeah. And I do feel that there is a difference. Um, and sometimes it actually kind of makes me quite sad because I kind of go like, oh, I wish you know, I wish I was watching this live. I wish I was in the room with this performer. But then, you know, at the same time, I'm just really glad that I'm getting to see this performance, you know. Um, Even if it's not the ideal situation that I'd want to see it in, I I still am very, very grateful that they've gone through, like, a lot of effort, you know. Like, like there's a lot, especially with the restrictions, you know, working around... Um, making any sort of artistic endeavor when you you know simple things like you know you couldn't go five kilometers from your from your home uh, like my partner Sarah was you know designing costume for shows in the Lear and um, trying to do one of them anyway you know like there was just no contact everything was done over zoom including fittings uh and like all the shops were closed so you know her design had to be like ordered online and you know, just the yeah. huge amount of, of stuff that goes into that. Um, I really appreciate that theatre makers are continuing to, like, make something and, like, keep the fire burning. Like, so that makes yeah. me very hopeful. Um, but, yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I, I kind of want both to be an option. You know, I want I want everything to be on the on the menu going forward. Yeah. Um this is uh, it's the same as what I uh, were sums up what I was sort of thinking I think a little bit myself was uh I was talking to someone else who works in um, Irish theater the other day and uh, they had said that they had watched something that had been I don't I can't remember what it was something that had been live streamed um and I said oh god I'm fucking raging I miss that um I actually really wanted to see it whenever and they said uh yeah it didn't it didn't really work and I was like oh that's a shame like how come he said well it was it was like sitting in the green room and watching the monitor oh i thought yeah. god that's fucking lit. yeah and you know instantly what that is I isn't know, it yeah. if you work in theater yeah. yeah what that what that means and that's that's the that's the fucking fear isn't it mm. and we don't fall into but then yeah i guess we have to all try it to find out how to do it and yeah. or how to do it better or how to do it differently or yeah so you're obviously very passionate about your job would you recommend a career in stage management for somebody in school or somebody thinking no no next question no i'm joking (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh yeah totally totally um yeah i think if you're uh Passionate enough, hardworking enough, have enough common sense and cop on, um, and and really want and really want to be a stage manager, then yeah, it's fucking deadly. 
it's really <laughs> rewarding you get to see if you're if you're if you're lucky enough you get to see the fucking world you get to work with just the most incredibly talented and and dedicated and funny and cool and kindest people that you'll ever meet um and the most fucking hard working mm. uh and if you i i know look, I know tons of people who have been stage managers who have gotten out of it um because they started to they started to hate it or they they didn't enjoy what they were doing anymore they became cranky or disillusioned or any of that but i think the majority of it is class mm. um yeah fantastic um thanks very much for your time i just one one last question um what's your proudest achievement Jesus Christ, Owen, that's a question, isn't it? Yeah. Proudest achievement. Um, gosh, I don't know. I feel like my, um, I get asked, weirdly, I get asked quite a bit to do these kind of things. Really? Um, yeah, which is surprising since... I stutter and I can't really think that clearly. I'm a bit crap at them. Um, but yeah, weirdly, I, there was a phase where I, a lot of English universities asked me to do like lectures with their students. I don't know. I'm not sure what happens, but. Um, and so I get asked, I do get asked this question. Um, and uh, I think the answer is always and I will pick one for you, but I think the answer is always, I guess what I love, what I love about stage management um, is that it's allowed me to be in situations or to be in cities or to be on nights out or to be in, in uh, like be sitting behind a monitor calling just really cool shows or really cool things or turning the fucking lights on in the Christmas lights in Limerick or like standing on the roof of a hotel with a bunch of people that you've met or spending New Year's with like it's allowed me to do all these cool things and have all these deadly experiences and I when I think about life and I think about work I see I see the last 15 years in those in a massive collection of those tiny moments that make me incredibly happy day to day and I think the proudest and the most exhausted that I am uh, and it happens once a year and it's my like it's my favorite I think it's my favorite moment is um is when the 24-hour plays in the Abbey finishes mm-hmm. uh, and everybody's absolutely delighted and all the actors are running around everyone's congratulating themselves and other people and um and my amazing stage management team and everybody works backstage are all uh, running around and sorting props and costumes and take tape up and thanking the Abbey staff and everything. And after that's done, uh, and I'll always just sneak downstairs and l- leave leave via the lane door and sneak across the road. And the Abbey is fucking a cheer of fucking like cool, warm, deadly people of having having had a great night. Um, and they're all drinking the bar. And I walk into Lanigan's and there's fucking nobody there. Mm. 
and I sit up at the bar and I get myself a little pint. Mm. And it's my favorite fucking pint of the year because I get because I just go, Jesus Christ, what what's happened the last 24 hours? <laughs> I like we we started it and we built it, and I do like this like week of prep on it. Mm. Like me, Philip Norday, um, Eva Scanlon. Uh, would probably be the three people who do who do sort of the most or the longest amount of work on it mm. um in terms of prep but like that is my pred I think that is my proudest moment mm. because because for another year we got through it yeah and you know what's a stinger about fucking covid is that this would have been our 10th year ah oh. yeah well so there it'll be back again yeah, or I'll just or I'll just go to Lanigans on my own anyway. <laughs> Who knows? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you'll just be standing outside. <laughs> Guys. Guys. <laughs> uh Kiva, it's great to see you and talk to you. And thanks very much for uh for doing the interview. It was a That's pleasure. No I hope we didn't just talk a lot of crap. Uh, no, it was fantastic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so nice to see you, pal. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Well done. Yeah. Thanks very much to Quiva. Um, that was a great chat. And uh, thanks as well to the Arts Council for funding this project. And as well to astronaut Mike Dexter, who composed the theme tune. Uh, next week, I'll be speaking to director, writer, and performer John McCarthy. Thank you.